Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 94, interview number 94, talk number 94, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Brett Clotier, the head boys basketball coach at Princeton High School up in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. Uh, Brett, who do the Vikes have today? Skull Vikings. Uh, they are. They've let the Cardinals, and you know, they're going to they're have a rough day with Kyler Murray. And it's actually funny for those if you want to end up liking what I say about basketball, and you can uh, follow me on social media. Here, I know we'll talk those handles here later. Uh, but you know, follow me first uh, for basketball related stuff. But you can stay for the uh, you know condescending Vikings related tweets. Like, I'm a Vikings <laughs> fan, but teaching eighth grade, I'm an eighth grade social studies teacher too. But like, it's almost more enjoyable when they lose, like last Sunday, coming to school and hearing all the excuses from like staff and students. I get more joy out of that than watching a Vikings victory. So like, I'm always like, yeah, if they win, it's cool. But like, if they lose. Like that's even more entertaining personally. Yeah. It's a it's a win win for you. Right. It's a win win. For sure, yes. for sure. Yes, I get that. I get that. So uh you know, my uh my buddy Moose, uh he he was a big Vikings fan. He passed away. It's 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 gonna be a year here in about a month or so. And uh man, he would just live and die and you know, uh, they had the kicker about three or four years ago that just shanked about two or three. Oh, Blair Walsh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Blair Walsh, yep. And he would just sit there, and I can't tell you the exact phrase, but uh, because this is a PG-13 network on a pen and a napkin, <laughs> but he would just sit there and go, you got one job. You got one job. You can't do that one job. You got one job. Kick the ball. But there there would be other words in there that, again, were PG-13 on a pen of and course, a napkin. Of course, of so. course. Uh, but yeah, you know it's been a it's 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 been a a, a roller coaster thirty three years being a Vikings fan and like probably I really got off the bandwagon uh, a little bit when Brett Favre came in. I just was never in 09. I was never on board with that team. That's the team that lost to the Saints in the NFC yep. Championship game. I was in college. I never got into that season. I just felt like we sold our souls to the devil to bring in <laughs> Brett Favre for a year, and I just like never. I didn't enjoy that year, and I, I that was, and then I just never really got back into living and dying by it on Sundays. So I've, I've found amusement. Uh, I can watch for three hours. They win great. They lose even better. So that's uh, that's that's good stuff. That's that's funny. Well, uh, before before we start jumping into Brett Favre and all that other stuff, we do want to recognize <laughs> our founding sponsor, which is Cosac Chiropractic, located at one four four. Five zero Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. Give them a call at 402-964-0300. Just be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, we try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, you're listening, so you... Uh, Check us out on iTunes, download, rate, review, give us five stars so that we can move up in the rankings. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandanapkin at gmail.com. appreciate getting those. Had quite a few the last few days talking about the uh, questionnaire Foundation Friday that we put out uh, on Friday. And uh, really appreciate the support in that regard. Check out penandanapkin.com, our coaching website. Uh, again, kind of working on lesson plans and all this other stuff. I am going to do some things with that, and we're going to change some stuff. I just got to find some time to do it here. 
And we do have the A Pen and a Napkin University video series up and running, personal growth and development. We're wrapping up half-court defense. We finished up full-court defense a week or so ago, or transition defense, excuse me, so be sure to check those out. Brett, we're recording on a Sunday morning here. I appreciate you getting up bright and early. Uh, my dog woke me up at 6 o'clock this morning to go out, so I've been up for a couple hours here. Uh, you are got your face paint, your Vikings uh, face paint on already, <laughs> and you're ready to roll. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you, and, and I want to thank John Carrier for being the go-between here, uh, getting us hooked up. So excited to get rolling with you this morning, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, always good to talk basketball on a Sunday morning. You bet. So uh, for the folks that don't know you, I'd like to start out the pods uh, like this. Uh, you know, Tell us about your background, uh, how you ended up in, in Princeton, Minnesota, and just your basketball journey. So <clears throat> I was born and raised Brainerd, Minnesota, up in the Brainerd Lakes area, central Minnesota. I uh, went through high school there, uh, played basketball, baseball, two-sport athlete through high school, Went to Augsburg University. I wanted to go to a school, uh, Brainerd, a rural community. I wanted to go to a school um, where people didn't all look like me and wanted to have a little bit different experience uh, for my own personal growth as an individual. I uh, live, in live in an inner city area, an ur- urban area. So I went to Augsburg University, Augsburg College at the time in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Division Three school in the in the MIAC uh, conference. I went there to, I was going to play two sports, going to play basketball and baseball. I uh, got there my first month, realized... Man, this is a you know private liberal arts college, two sports. Like, I just, this isn't going to work. I got to remember why I'm here. So I actually chose the I actually chose to play baseball instead, and it really came down to you know, I kind of felt burnt out. You know, doing the AAU circuit, driving. I was two hours from yeah. the Minneapolis St. Paul area, so I was driving for practices, driving for tournaments, and just kind of wore on me. And I just was like, you know, I need a break from basketball. I'm going to pick baseball. I connected with the guys a little bit better that first month of college, and so won the baseball route. I had a great experience playing baseball at Augsburg. Uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, and what that did, by taking the time off from basketball for four years, like when I got into then student teaching, I got into my into my teaching job, I was hungry to get back out of the court and get back on the sidelines uh, and get back into the game. And so <clears throat> I student taught in the Edina School District, an um, affluent um, suburban district in the West Metro of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Student taught there. Ended up getting on the ninth grade staff uh, a month maybe before the season started, a spot opened up. So that worked out really well for me. Had a really good experience with Coach Dorsey. Uh, he had some really good players at the at the high school level uh, when I was there. They had a couple of really good teams, um, section finals, and then went that fourth at state. I want to say the year after I left. So they had some really good players there. So I really got to learn um, in the heart of like Minnesota basketball. I was out mm-hmm. scouting. I'd go out and watch Hopkins. Right? Everyone knows Hopkins High School state you know, um, NBA players and perennial state championship champions yeah. in Minnesota, um, you know, Minnetonka and, you know, Wyzetta, a lot of the schools in that West Metro area, which is really a, where there's a ton of division one high level basketball. So I coach at the ninth grade level. Then I go out and scout a lot of nights and I was seeing like really, really good basketball. And I was seeing a lot of things that I was you know, putting in my, in my memory bank or in my notebook when I was able to you know, get my own gig down the road, which uh-huh. came a lot quicker than I thought. Uh, I got a teaching job then in Princeton, Minnesota. For those who are not familiar, familiar with Princeton, it's about 45 minutes north of Minneapolis. So okay. the neighboring the neighboring district, school district, would be considered a suburban district. We are not, um, but we're, we're super close. A lot of commuting families, a lot of families live in Princeton who work in the city, Minneapolis area, want more space, more land, that whole, that whole thing. So yep. got a teaching job there. I uh, got on lucky enough to coach uh, that I was at before, knew the head coach at Princeton, got me on as a JV coach for a year. 
that coach then took me under his wing, and then he got his admin license and got an admin job. And um, between me and the assistant coach, I was the JV coach, and I was lucky enough to get the position at 25 years old as a first-time head coach, having only one year on a varsity bench. So it's kind of a, a, a learning experience for me. Mm-hmm. But as we'll talk about, you know, it was a program that had some success, but hadn't been to the state tournament in 87 years. And so uh, the coach before me did a great job of establishing a, a well-functioning youth association. Uh, but from like winning section championships, there wasn't a lot of success at that point. So I think that gave me as a 25-year-old the opportunity to kind of really do things my way because there yep. wasn't that like, hey, we went to state three of the last five years, you need to win now. And so that really allowed me to take three, four years to kind of get my feet under me, figure out how we wanted to play, what culture we wanted to set. And then, you know, the last uh, last four years, we've had a lot of success. We've won three conference championships. Um, this will be my ninth year coming up, sorry. Uh, so my last four, uh, we've won three conference championships, two section championships, and a runner-up um, spot um, this past season. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, that's, that's, I guess, my coaching background. Awesome. You... Uh... You uh, also, I, I guess, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to another uh, guy. Uh, he was a Nebraska guy, and I jokingly said that, you know, we're both media moguls and all this other stupid stuff, you know. But yeah. uh, uh, you also have a podcast as well, uh, the Minnesota Basketball Coaching <clears throat> Podcast. And yep. uh, just what, what was the impetus for that? Uh, why did you want to put that together? What was your motive? Because I know what my motivations were for, for doing the stuff that I'm doing. Uh, but wh- where did you kind of come up with that? And, and just, uh, you know, what's, what's, your, what's your purpose? What's your why with, with your podcast? So first off, got to give credit to you for having an actual name to a podcast. I just kind of threw Minnesota Basketball Coaching <laughs> Podcast. is not, not a pen and a napkin, so... You know, you, you get the creativity points for sure on that one. I'm not even near ballpark with uh, the creativity I'm naming a podcast. But yeah, I, uh, I started it in April of 2020. Obviously, we all know what was going on at that point with COVID-19 and school was all in emergency distance learning. And we were in our homes until we couldn't go anywhere. And I just felt like there was a need for um, Minnesota-specific coaching information, right? We have, a lot, we have a lot of great coaches in the state of Minnesota, phenomenal mm-hmm. coaches. And I just wanted to hear from them. It was more selfishly for mm-hmm. me. It was personal in that, like, I wanted to learn. Like, I'm sitting at home all day, not leaving the house. Wife and I, two young kids. Uh, we had at the time had an infant and a three year old, so we weren't going to take any chances with the unknown of COVID. So we were like following guidelines to a T. We do once every week, two weeks, we do an online order, pick up, and you know, go home. So I had a lot of time at home to kind of you know allow myself to do some personal growth. And so John Carrier, like you mentioned, um, well known coach and um social media influencer in the coaching world i'll <laughs> yeah. give him that title yes um, oh yes i, I will have to I, I will have to throw that in with john the next time i talk to him that's good social, social media, media influencer, influencer. yes yeah. is he and like him and is, I, is he like the kardashian of minnesota uh you know what i i talked you know i you know doing this podcast and i'll do it now for eight years and i coached some AAU this past spring talking to coaches like there's not even I don't think a coach has ever thought a bad thing about him, let alone said a bad thing about him. He's just a hundred percent approval rating in the state of Minnesota. He has, I'll tell you uh, that. Great, great guy. We've bounced some ideas off of each other and uh, had some conversations, and, and I really like John. He's he's a good dude. So I'm sorry. Anyway, I I, I just but the media influencer. I'm going to have to mention that yeah. to him the next time we talk. So it's all good. So, so yeah, I uh, I was talking to him. I was like, how would you think this would go, right? And, 
And he's like, I think you do it. Like, we have great coaches in the state. We have, like, a lot, a ton of high major Division One kids. We have a ton of NBA kids now coming out of Minnesota. Like, let's hear from the coaches who coach these people or the coaches who play against these people. So, honestly, one night it started. I was, like, talking to him on the phone. I go, hey, let's, like, we were doing a Zoom. I was like, hey, let me just hit record. And I call this my first podcast. And we recorded it, and I posted it, and people liked it. So, I just kind of kept it coming every couple weeks. Now, um, you know, the content is kind of, you know, this pat season and into the summer kind of built or slowed down a little bit i posted a couple here i'm not as regular as you uh on that by any means but it was definitely something where i just wanted to you know get to know a lot of coaches and catch a lot of coaches but share the information because i know that people were home people were you know um they, they couldn't go anywhere so they had a lot of podcasts and they had a lot of time to to digest content and then selfishly too i thought it'd be a you know down the road i don't know where this journey is going to take me but i thought it wouldn't hurt to have you know that sort of thing on the resume if i ever looked to go to the next level uh, in my coaching career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would say an unintended consequence of me starting this. Uh, and, and for those that don't know, I, I you know, the reason why I started mine was I, I set out for a year, which turned out to be two years, but this, this all started in between year one and year two of the sabbatical. And um, there was just not, I, I just had a hard time finding high school, specific coaching resources you know a lot of stuff was was college or nba and i'm what you know you see the stuff on twitter and you see the spanish league double spain pick and roll dive action i'm like well (laughs) most of us have maybe one if you're lucky you have one or two kids that are able to understand and execute that type of stuff let alone having five on the floor at the same time and you know just just the challenges that that we have as high school coaches and so that was kind of my motivation for for that but like you said the the great the 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 unintended consequence has been or the the benefit has been just learning myself and and i've Mm -hmm. gotten the opportunity to to speak to so many good coaches i just poach an idea or two every single week it seems like when when we're doing stuff and and you know that's 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 been the biggest benefit for me as well I think the other thing that I found really unique and interesting about it too is it's not necessarily even like the learning new things. It's just the solidification of what I'm already doing that yes. like other people are doing it or hearing other people explain. I mean this respectfully because like we are not a zone team. Right? I've talked to coaches who run exclusively zone. Like that's great for them. And that works for their program and I and I support them and respect that. But like hearing them explain why they run zone supports why we run man. And so mm-hmm. within that it's really helped me solidify what we do. Um, as well as learning a couple of new things here, there to add um, to our toolbox. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you, you take over this this job at Princeton, like you said, you were the assistant for one year, and you, you're, you're in a you're in a smaller town. I'm guessing uh, Friday nights you are the show in town for the most part. And, you know, along with that, it's 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 a different perspective than being in a in a city school, uh, that type of thing. Uh, but you, you, you kind of got this monkey hanging on, uh, on your back here with the with the, the drought to getting up to, to getting to the barn uh, there in, in downtown Minneapolis. Yep. Um, as you built and, and like you said, you know, you, there wasn't a lot of pressure. Uh, because you hadn't been there, it wasn't like you're taking over this highly successful program. Um, what was the one or two things that you felt like we needed to do to get us to that to that point to to kind of push us through to to uh, 
to get down to the barn, so to speak. Uh, what did you build the program on during that time period? Yeah, so a little background. Um, 87 years, our school hadn't been to the state tournament. Um, only in 1932, and we went in 2019. Uh, and then for context for those Nebraskans or Iowans or whoever, your your primary audience is listening to this. We are, Minnesota's a four-class system, and four being the largest. We're in the third class. We're in the third largest class. It's kind of right smack dab in the middle. Um, so yeah, like you said, not a huge metro school, but we get in with our in the state level, a lot of like the, you know, the higher successful private schools is based on enrollment and stuff. But yeah, so when I took over, like I said, I can't give enough um, appreciation and credit to the coach before me, Eric Beerman, created a really, really, really solid and like well-run youth association. So we had talent in our program, right? I didn't just develop kids who couldn't dribble in seventh grade. And then they became like all conference players by senior year. That was the case. I wouldn't be coaching high school anymore. Yeah. Right? I'd be making a million dollars as a skills trainer. Um, <laughs> but you know, we had good kids, right? And I think the biggest thing that I switched, the biggest thing when I ever get asked this question, well, what did you do? It's like, I just accepted that like my summer job is going to be a, be a basketball coach. Right? Obviously, like I got two kids, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad and all that stuff. But I'm not going to work at the golf course. I'm not going to go work at the bar and bartend. I, I'm going to coach basketball. Like, that's going to be my summer job. And I'll make a couple bucks doing it, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe I, maybe I can pay a mortgage payment that you know from my summer money, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that's my job, and so we just really switched things up a little bit. Where we got everyone in the program in the gym three days a week in the summer, and we keep it uh, pretty cheap. Uh, we keep it around like eighty bucks, eighty ninety dollars for the entire summer. Uh, we go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We have a nine through twelve group early in the morning, and then we go. It's, it's technically listed as fifth through eighth grade, um, but we any anyone. I mean, if a kid parent thinks their second grader can keep up with fourth graders or fifth graders, like come on, bring them in. Like we'll we'll make it work. If you can shoot up to ten feet, like we'll we'll get you in. Mm-hmm. And so just like creating that, where it's like I, I think a lot of coaches. And if you people do the camp stuff, that's great. I think there's value in that. You probably get a higher attendance for that one week than we ever get for any specific week. But I think, like, it allows families to be like, well, we're going to go on vacation for a week, and I'm not going to feel bad that we wasted money on basketball because we'll be there the next week. And so we've kept it really cheap, um, but enough where it's like, you know, we're getting paid for our time. They're also, again, we're not, people aren't, you know, having to take out a loan on their house to do summer basketball. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's just been the number one thing is just getting in the gym with our kids all summer. Um, you know, like I said, we don't do like the, the youth, the middle school camp. Like we just kind of come in and we run like practices through the entire summer. Now there's more, way more games based and way less structured, but like we're running an hour and a half for our, you know, fifth through eighth grade. Like I said, we had some third and fourth graders this summer in there as well. And so three days a week throughout June and July, and we see a ton of growth from our kids, uh, from that first week in June to the end of the, to the end of July. That's the biggest one. And that would be more like big picture program related. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second thing uh, would be just the way we play. Um, we play super fast. We've led our class, um, uh, again, not comparing us to Minnehaha Academy, Chet Holmgren, Jalen Suggs, phenomenal players. We Minnehaha Academy, um, Jalen Suggs, obviously the fifth pick of the draft, Chet Holmgren, Colin Gonzaga, number one player in the nation this past year uh, in the 20, 2021 class. But – and yeah, they play way different competition. But we've led our class, or they're the same class as us. We led our class in scoring. Um, doesn't mean we have better players than them by any means, but like we're averaging, you know, in the mid to upper 80s a game uh, offensively, um, and, and just creating a culture of playing fast, having fun, um, you know, shooting open threes, being more analytic focused. Where you know, so often I look at teams. I know we'll get into the meat and potatoes of this later, but so often I look at teams that will grind offense for 45 seconds, and the best shot they got was the fourth second of the possession. 
Mm-hmm. And so just kind of changing that mentality for us, pressing, switching, looking to turn teams over, playing aggressively, but just having like a an up-tempo style that like kids want, parents and families want to come watch because it's enjoyable. And we were losing games my first couple of years, 90 to 74, but like people had a blast watching it. And I just felt like that built a lot of like enjoyment and like mm-hmm. positive culture within within our program. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, when you have that time to let it cook and, and, and let it marinate – and kids start buying in, and that gives you an opportunity. Hey, I'm not just playing seven kids a game. I'm playing nine or ten kids. If we want to play at this pace, we're going to need depth. It's fun to shoot. It's fun to fly around. I, I've always told my players, I my ideal game would be me not ever calling out a set play. That you're just out there, you're just playing ball. And and I think that's that's fun. And and you can win. You can be successful playing that style. Yep. For sure. And one thing, and I should say one analytic piece that we kind of shoot for is we're looking to be in that, like we play 18 and a half. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're looking around that like 76 possession number is about the ideal pace for us. We've had some games, uh, my assistant coach and I look at ourselves like we didn't say anything. It was like 89 possessions and it was just like, holy cow, we got to bring them back a little bit. (laughs) So that's kind of been more the issue at that time having to slow our guys down because they're playing too dang fast. Uh, instead of like playing a little bit more, it was just like fired ahead, fired up. Oh, all right. Well, maybe hold it for five seconds. But yeah, that's uh, and that's been a great thing that we've had to be able to adjust to. That's a good problem to have that we were playing too fast, right? So I mean, you know, splitting hairs a little bit. But yeah, seventy six to seventy eight possessions is kind of our target number in a given game. Yeah, you can always pull them back. It's hard to get yep. them going faster. Yep. Um. So you break through. You break through the the drought. You get there after eighty seven years. Uh, first of all, what was uh, that first time that you go to the state tournament as a head coach is kind of an indescribable feeling, but describe it to the best of your ability, coach. Yeah, yeah. so it's actually funny. So the year before that, we, you know, we, so my fourth year as head coach, we won seven games. And there was, you know, sparing details, like there was a little bit of heat from some parents starting to come down a little bit. Like we played, we were really young that year and there were some seniors that didn't play and so it was, you know, the seat was getting, it wasn't seen with hot, but it was maybe getting turned up a little bit on low. Um, and so we, because we went young, we didn't win. Where we won seven games. And so the next year we went from seven to 20 wins, which is a gigantic jump. Um, this has been my fifth year, so been in the 17-18 uh, season. Uh, so we went from seven wins to 20 wins. We were the number one seed uh, in, a, in a weaker section that year. Our section yep. was not very strong. But, like, we weren't ready for that yet. I feel like our kids then carried a ton of pressure. They started thinking, oh, 86 years, like, we're going to go to state and all that stuff. And they didn't really grasp that you still have three more games left. Mm-hmm. And then first round, we blow out the eighth seed at home. All right. And then we go up neutral site game against a team we beat early in the year, lose by three. Uh, and that really stung for a lot of our guys. We were a junior, sophomore heavy team that year. And that really stung for a lot of our guys. I think that was motivating to them that, while wow, it isn't that easy. Like, we're not just going to show up in March and go to the state tournament. So, mm-hmm. That led to a lot of guys getting super immersed in AAU, a lot of guys working on their games in the offseason, um, more than ever. And the kids just came back really hungry. We started that next year ranked number two in the state in our class. So, like, the pressure was there. And it was like <laughs> – and it was it, it, uh, it was it was hard to describe because there was so much pressure that year. Like, it, it, and we won our section the next year, and I have no problem saying this. The next year, the 20 season – which ended up not having a state tournament because of COVID, like that was a way more almost enjoyable season from start to finish because sure. we had the monkey off our back. So while it was a great feeling, yes, it was just 
a gigantic sense of relief because that was the yeah. It was the family of elephants in the room. Like, we got to go to the state tournament. We got to win our section. We're number two in the state. 87 years. It was constant. Yeah. And so, like, and we started off 12-0, and 0, and it was great. And we were good. And we had fun, and we were beating teams, and it was great. But there was constantly that just, like, um, overarching um, yeah. family of elephants just staring at us. And I also, we, and I didn't tell you this in the pre, so I'm going a little rogue here. We also stopped having captains that year, um, which kind of... Ruffled some feathers for our seniors, and mm-hmm. I love those guys. They're great. Um, they were not happy for a couple months leading up to the season. Um, that that was the year that we chose to like get rid of captains, and we had talked about it, and we had researched it, and we were ready to go. Um, in theory, we probably should have done it the year before, mm-hmm. um, but it, it added another like. If I could have done it over again, would have thought that one through on when we implemented that. I would have done it earlier than the year that we knew we would be really good. Um, just to just to avoid any potential drama, which again it was unspoken um, because we were we we won right. But that, yeah. I, kids could have fallen back on that if we would have struggled out of the gates or something. But yeah, it was just we there was a lot of a lot of pressure that year. So winning it was just gigantic, gigantic, gigantic relief. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was awesome though. Um, the community was just amazing. Uh, we have school district. We're graduating about two fifty a class, so we're decent size. But it was just the state tournament. I mean, we were we were watching the, the class above us, and we had the biggest crowd at the state on the state tournament. I yeah. mean, for that week leading up to the state tournament, I can go to the grocery store. People were stopping me. Congratulations! <laughs> Seriously, it was like straight out of the TV show. My wife was like, and I had like plans. So they got who knew you're going to marry a celebrity, and she was just like, "Let's get this state tournament over with. When's the first game? Can we get this lead up week over." <laughs> So yeah, man, it was it was a ton of fun. But I'll tell you though, that season was by far the most stressful that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like sometimes when we'd win games, and like, we were just checking a box, and like we weren't taking, um, we weren't taking the time to enjoy it. Which I, obviously, like I don't wish I could have done that over again because it was a great learning experience. But it was something to appreciate moving forward. Just to, no matter what, like how well enjoy the victory, just enjoy every moment because we put a ton of pressure on ourselves that season. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you learn from, you know, the preparation and actually, you know, going into the state tournament, uh, that first time? And I think, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Brett, uh, you, you won your opening round game and then you lost in the semifinal. Am I, am I correct? correct? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and so, all works. so yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say what, what, um, what did you learn from that as far as preparation, getting ready for the state tournament, uh, things that you felt like you prepped your team well, maybe one or two things that, uh, you know, if I had it to do over again, uh, we would do this a little bit differently. Uh, just because, that again, that first time that you go through it, it's it's such a it's such a rush and, and you got so many things going through your brain. And and like you like you said, you just you get overwhelmed by so many different things in such a short amount of time. It's like, oh, yeah, we still got to keep the main thing the main thing, which is trying to win three games and, and cut down the big nets uh, at the end of it. Yeah, so I'll go back to, like throughout that season. The one thing I would have done differently was, so a lot, my staff knows I'm very, like, weird with some of my idiosyncrasies and, like, superstitions that I have over a game. I'm like, I won't wear a coaching polo. Or a shirt if we had a bad loss in it for like two seasons. Like that thing's like in the closet. If we had a bad loss or we play horribly, that shirt is not coming out of the closet. And that kind of goes back to me being a baseball player and a pitcher, I think, too, being so superstitious with routines mm-hmm. and stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. like you just throw it away. And so with the year that we were the number one seed the year before and we didn't make it, we just were like locked in on our team. 
And we're like, we're not going to go scout any potential state tournament teams. Like, we're going to keep the eye on the prize. We're going to focus on winning our section. And then we'll figure the state tournament out later. Which was, I think, was healthy and it was good. But, you know, we won our first game. We were the four seed. We beat the five seed. Um, it was a good game. Won by, like, you know, six. And then the next game gets on local TV uh, or statewide TV. And you're at the Target Center now where the Timberwolves play. And we were playing the number one seed, who was De La Salle. They have uh, Tyrell Terry, who was the second-round draft pick by the Dallas Mavericks, then yep. after a year at Stanford. Yep. Um, Jameson Battle was a big kid for them. He just was at George Mason. Now he's just transferred back to the U of M, Minnesota. They were really good. And we press, we run, we do all that stuff. And we're like, and I, talk, I was on the phone for hours after, right after we won. I'm calling every coach that played them that I know. I'm like, we're going to still play. We're going to play our game. Like, we're not going to roll over. We're not going to just be like, all right, let's sit into a zone and hope they don't make shots. And I wouldn't have done that because that's not how we play. But the biggest thing I learned was we didn't scout them at all. right? And we probably should have. Just And they were so, so, so much faster than what we what we saw on film or what we, you know, what we gathered just from the one game we watched of their quarterfinal game in the blowout. So I guess if we knew we had a group again that – and we like the team we have this year – um, you know, last year was different because you couldn't. We were the one seed again, and you can't um, couldn't you know, couldn't in person scout last year, obviously because of COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. We, we would we would try to get out and at least see everyone, especially the better teams, live at least one time because we were just like we wouldn't have changed our game plan, but we were just so caught off by how fast like their fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh guys were. Yeah, um, they're good. We thought okay, it's Terry, and then it's Battle, and then okay, we can keep up if we can try to contain those two to their averages. Mm-hmm. But man, they have dudes who are leaking out and running so much faster than we ever imagined. Yeah. That was the biggest thing. It's just I know I'm rambling there, but just getting out and just trusting the process that like when your guys don't need to know you're scouting yeah. a team that you might play in this. Team. You can keep that to the tight to the best. So yep. that's the one thing I would have done differently for sure. Gotcha. A pen and a napkin university is offering you, our listeners, a great opportunity to learn more about coaching above and beyond the a pen and a napkin universe. In our video series detailing personal growth and development, you can purchase videos on topics like interviewing for a job, basketball analytics, and fundraising and social media. Go to a pen and a napkin.com and follow the links to order. Videos are $10 a piece, or you can get the bundle for $50. That's less than $8 a video. Along with that, we'll be dropping in new videos, our latest this week, on half-court defense. Listeners, go check out a pen and a napkin video library. Uh, Coach, as I was getting ready for uh, today, uh, I I did a a dive on your Twitter, and and a lot of coaches have uh, Twitter, but you're really active, and I thought it was interesting. Uh, You're kind of doing the TikTok thing, and uh, a couple of them were really funny. I gotta say, I giggled quite a bit on the the sneakers one uh, when yeah. you were doing that. That was pretty funny. Thank you. Uh, how how important is uh, how do you, how important do you think it is to be at least aware of social media? Maybe being a little active in trying to communicate and having you know having your players uh, know that you have an understanding of the world that they're living in. I think significantly, right? Uh, we've always prided ourselves on having good relationships with our kids. Uh, you know, I don't teach in the building. I teach at the middle school. so I'm not, And I, I see most of them as they come through the middle school. But I teach eighth grade. They go to high school in ninth grade. So I don't see them on a daily basis. So I think just like we've really tried to take a lot of time to build up relationships. And honestly, like, you know, I've done a few of those TikTok videos. That's more just me being bored and mm-hmm. like 
tell, giving my wife an update on how many likes I got. I like to push <laughs> her buttons. Uh, for some reason, she's the most most supportive coaching wife I can imagine. I know everyone's everyone's wives and partners and spouses are supportive, but I like to think mine is at the top of the list with how supportive she is. Uh, so I just, of course, like to you know, push back on the people who are the most supportive and try to get them going. But uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I think it's fun, right? I think it's it, it's funny. Um, you know, it's it's something silly to do. I think that we just can't take ourselves too serious, right? Mm-hmm. I think when we got those 36 minutes when that ball goes up, like we're locked in, we're focused, right? We're trying to win games, we're busting our butt, we're getting our guys prepared. But I think there's so much time as a coach you can show that you're a person mm-hmm. and not just this guy who's like, where it's a transactional relationship and you're trying to have more of that transformational relationship. And just showing that I have, you know, bringing my kids around. Like my kids will come to practice, my kids will come to summer workouts. Like I'm not this drill sergeant guy who's like my way or the highway, like, this is my gym, my team. It's always our gym, our team, our game. Um, and just kind of being relatable to the kids. Mm-hmm. But I would be remiss if I didn't um, give my uh, assistant coach, your Nick Novak, here a plug. He's got a son, um, Cooper Novak, who's a senior. And I'll be honest, it, it kind of started because, um, you know, his kids, uh, his kid likes to post stuff and he'll, like, make TikToks here there. And I'm like, I bet I can get more likes than your kid on a TikTok. <laughs> and and that was kind of like some of the, the first couple. And I'm like, I'm like six or so or something. But a couple of the first ones were just to see if I could get more likes. And, and Cooper, he missed our starting guard for us. Uh-huh. Uh, and his dad just gets a kick out of it. So I'd see, there's one that I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here and being like thinking I'm like a John Carrier influencer or anything. There's <laughs> one one of them that you mentioned, the sneakers got like 50 some thousand likes. And I was sending Nick like a 9,000, a 13,000, like a screenshot update. Hey, send show Cooper, show Cooper like, <laughs> over and over. And I think just more or less just competitive and being goofy with my guys. But yeah, I mean, it's fun, right? I mean, it doesn't take very long. Um, you know, it's like in the classroom too. Like you don't want people to think like you're like, okay, the 50 minutes you're in my class, no one talks and no one has a person. You know, you just, you just got to be a person. I think that's so important that yeah. your players and anyone you interact with, right? The parents in the program, students in your class, your colleagues, coaching staff just knows that like the end of the day, like, you go home to a family, you go home and have your interests, um, and, and, you're, and you're a person and you can relate to like um, enjoyments and struggles that all humans deal with on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of struggles, I, I got to have you make a pick here, either or, and, and you, you got to pick one or the other. Uh, you ready, Brett? I'm ready. The Challenge or Big Brother? Oh, you went deep, man. You went deep. Oh, I, I go deep. Man. I go deep. Woo! All right. So here's the thing with that is, and again, I don't. This doesn't need to turn into a reality TV show podcast. Okay. But I'm gonna give a plug. But, but it's my podcast, so I can do what I want to do. So yeah, it's true. I, I, it's true. But I don't. I, I'll, so I'll spare your listeners. I'll say that. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna get real here for a second. And so this current season of Big Brother that anyone's been watching has been phenomenal. Uh, so never has there been um, an African American who's or um, an African American who's one Big Brother. And so this season. There's been, there was, I think, CBS made a switch where they wanted at least half of the cast to be people of color. Yep. And so, um, to show more, you know, match the audience and the world, world that everyone lives in. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't all like, you know, 15 white people and then one person of color on the show, like I'd been or, in some previous Or seasons. one token and, old person or something Right, like, exactly, yep. right? And so they, uh, so there was a group of six um, black contestants who... Um, had a secret alliance from the beginning and there's never been an alliance that has went like stuff, a group of six in history of big brother, 23 seasons that had actually made it to the final six. I'm like, I was like, 
aside from my Ben Simmons podcast that I've been listening to, hoping he comes to the Timberwolves, <laughs> like I have been so invested in this season of Big Brother this summer, just like hoping that this group and being a social studies teacher myself, like understanding that, <laughs> you know, the um, how people of color are treated differently and not getting, you know, too deep here with your podcast, but as a, as a white male and understanding like white privilege and white privilege that is um, happens on reality TV shows and that, you know, representation has not been equal uh, mm-hmm. for people of color on TV. And so seeing this group of six, I've been just like just cheering so hard for them all summer. It's been, it's been so, so awesome. And some of their interviews and stuff talking about how important it is to like be having two people of color sitting up there on the final two. It's been, it's been really cool to see. Um, obviously there's fans who don't like it and whatever, yeah. like, no, you know, there's been 22 other seasons, like whatever. So this has been pretty important, um, stuff for me to watch. I've really appreciated it. Um, but I don't know, the, the challenge has been tough though, because the last couple seasons, they, you know, um, they've had, they've been bringing people in like internationally who I didn't have a connection with. And I was really excited because they started bringing some big brother people on. And so it was like, my world's reclining. Um, but I would say, here's why I'd say big brother. Cause it happens in real time. Yeah. Right? It happens in real time. It's three nights a week. It's like, yeah, again, I mentioned my summer jobs, coaching basketball. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, and the summer's three nights a week to know that there's three hours of TV I get to watch. Like, yep. you know, when twins weren't good this season. So like, it was, it was, it was relieving to have something on there, but I just think like what this group, um, was able to accomplish the cookout is their alliance name on big brother this season was super powerful and something I've really, really, really enjoyed watching. Yeah. You know, I, I think, uh, and our, our son, our middle son got us hooked in on like survivor and, and big brother okay. and stuff like that. So we've been, we've been watching as well. And, and yeah. I agree with everything that you said. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's, um, interesting. And, and I'll be honest with you, I've, I've taken shows like that. And I know some of those, uh, like tape shows, um, like a like a challenge or something like yep. that. You know, it, you know they can edit it and and so forth and so on. But you know, I've taken television shows like one of the shows that I actually and this is going to sound weird as I say it, but I'll bring it back into coaching. One of the shows that I actually took a lot from as a coach was a uh, the show Bar Rescue. On okay. yeah, you know, sure. in, in this sense that you have to take ownership of your program and you have to take pride and you can't settle but you also have to think of things analytically and sometimes you have Mm -hmm. to make unpopular decisions but you know that it's best for your business and your business in in high school coaching is your program and you can't you can't settle for second or third best you've got to strive to to be the best Mm -hmm. uh, to the best of your ability and you can't have substandard product you can't have substandard uh you know, ideas and, and things like that. So I, you know, I, I think those type of things, if, if you take some of those shows that seem like they're just throwaway shows mm-hmm. and you're just, you're just numbing your mind for an hour, I think that there are things that you can pick up from that that can help you think things through. And, and, and with something like a, a Big Brother, analyzing and, and understanding human dynamics and how people function together yep. and, uh, things to say and things not to say can can be as powerful as as you learn from those type of of situations and again it's it's entertainment and and things like that but it's it's also uh like i said i i think those qualities can be drawn from it if you look at it from the right way i don't know how deep you're into 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 big brother here but um you know so uh derek and cody 
Derek, who won season 16. Cody was the runner-up, and then Cody won the All-Star season last year. They do a podcast every Thursday after the live eviction, and they talk about where every, every player is on the on their list and who they think's got the best chance to win the game. And they talk a lot about, like, sometimes that when you don't know who to put up when there's seven or eight people left, it's like, who have you made that personal connection with? And maybe you're not in an alliance with them, but you've had that personal conversation. They asked about your family, or they talked to you about your your um, kids, or they talked about your grandpa that just died, or you have that connection with them. Can be the difference, and just remembering that, like at the end of the day, like our basketball players, like you said, are um, are, are are people, and coaches are people, and just remembering that there's a human aspect to that. Even if you got a kid who was a senior who maybe is out of your rotation, is making sure that you have that connection with them, that you still are. You know, getting to know them as a person. That's the stuff that carries on well past the, the, everyone's respective basketball becomes flat and they move on with their lives. Yep. Real quick, and this will be the last one. Uh, who you got? Who's who's gonna who's gonna win the seven fifty? Yeah, Xavier. Yeah. Uh, so I should say. Yep. So my wife, my mother in law, and my sister in law, and then we'll call her my sister in law. The five of us. It's my brother in law's girlfriend. They've been there for five years. So we'll call my two sister in laws, my wife, and my mother in law. We did a draft. Uh-huh. This year, so we each drafted three in sixteen. So we left one person out was a free agent. Someone could sign. I had first picks, so I picked Xavier. So I, I've been riding the Xavier train pretty tough. And there's like a lot of like eighty dollars on the line here. <laughs> so it's, not, it's more for fun. But uh, yeah, no, I think I mean he's just he's rock solid. I think that lawyer background is gonna really help him when it comes to the final two, and he can lay out his argument. Yeah, yeah, it's it's done. It's it's over. In my yeah. opinion, it's it's it's. Yep. Uh yeah, it's 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 a done deal. So that's Here's my, my opinion. thing. The last thing on Big Brother, I'll, tell, I'll I'll transition this back to basketball for you here, even though it's your show. Yep. Um, I've told my wife this like three or four times. Like he's like he played college basketball and he lives in Milwaukee. Like uh, that dude doesn't know the Bucks won the championship. Like that's oh, crazy to me. That's right. Like, yeah. 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 And that's like I've said that. I was like this dude loves it because he talks about his basketball playing days. I'm like this dude lives in Milwaukee and doesn't know the Bucks won the championship. That's crazy. Wow. Anyways. Well, he's gonna he's gonna have seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and yep. he's gonna have a world championship to celebrate. Now he can go get season tickets and not have to worry about it too. So <laughs> that's awesome. So, uh, the Omaha Metro Basketball Coaches Association will once again be hosting their fall slate of coaching clinics starting on Wednesday, September twenty second, at the Union Bank and Trust Basketball Facility located at two one zero one five Cumberland Drive in Elkhorn, Nebraska. Social Hour begins at 6 p.m. with speakers starting at 7. Food and drinks will be provided each week, so come out and hear great guest speakers like Loyola of Illinois' new men's head basketball coach, Drew Valentine, Creighton men's assistant basketball coach, Ryan Miller, individual development coach, Chevelle Herring, and sports performance coach, Tyler Bird. For more information, reach out to Tom Crable at Boystown High School. Coach, at this time, we have the Don Meyer quote of the day as we kind of transition from the first half to the second half here. Uh, and uh, feel free to to comment on this. Um, so the Don Meyer quote of the day is, in the end, what your own troops do is more important than who you are marching against. I like that. That's good. Um, I think that comes to like the scouting piece, which I know we'll probably talk, we'll touch on here in a little bit, but it's so much more, I think sometimes, and I know I was guilty of this as a young coach and maybe because we weren't as good when I first started and I was trying to steal wins, but you get overly focused on game planning and over, over scouting your opponents. But most importantly, it's, are you guys executing? Are you guys playing hard? Are you guys locked in? Right. I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's a great, I love that. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and I think that when you're building a program, 
um, and you're and you're trying to 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 move up, you're trying to add wins. I think you you look for wins on the margin, like you were saying, uh, mm-hmm. but you you simplify what the other team is doing and you focus on your execution to to get those things rather than spending so much time going over the other team because probably. You know, if you're not winning, that usually means that your your players are not as good, and right. so you have to focus on yourself and making your players better rather than every three days worrying about what somebody else is doing. And I I think that's I think that's a one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give anybody trying to to rebuild a program. That's what we're trying to do. Where I'm at right now, we're we're getting better. We got better this summer. Um, you know, but. We just put a tremendous focus on ourselves, and yeah, the day before a game, we would start talking about our opponents and go through some things, but uh, I don't know if I've ever spent as much time talking about just our team as we did this year and minimize scouting as much as we did, because we just had to focus on ourselves, so. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you just, if you're shooting 26% from three, or you're shooting... 51% 51% from the free throw line, like, those are going to, you're going to lose games, right? <laughs> you got to really focus on getting those numbers better than, like, trying to contain the fourth base out-of-bounds play your opponent's going to run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's jump into your philosophy here a little bit. Uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about, and I'm going to do this selfishly because we do a lot of switching in our man-to-man defense. Yep. Uh, you do a lot of switching, and so... You know, like I said, it's my podcast, and I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about, and I'm going to be very, very curious, and and I don't know, again, thinking back to how many podcasts we've done, I don't know if we've ever really dove in on switching man-to-man and the advantages of it, and and maybe, you know, obviously with any defense, there's some, some weaknesses in it, uh, but what drove you to, to switching man-to-man defense? What's your guys' kind of philosophy with it? How do you, how do you teach it? Uh, how do you... Uh, get your kids to buy in, just so forth and so on. I'm just, as I say at this point of the pot, I'm just going to kind of let you cook, and I might throw in a couple questions as you get going. Yeah, so switching, we've probably done that, I would say, four years. And we just had the athletes where I thought we had multiple guys who could guard, like, more than, like, a couple positions. And also, in like, so I've looked at my career eight years. I feel like there's four years where we were really rebuilding that thing. Or not even rebuilding, but, like, continuing to build that thing. Because I feel like I took over a good foundation when I got the job. And in the last four years, we've been we've been successful. Um, three twenty win seasons last year, were eighteen and two in a condensed season because of COVID. So I like to call that four straight twenty win seasons. Um, we just started having the athletes that I think that I thought could switch and guys who could guard multiple positions. Like I said before, we had guys where we had to hide our best player because he might be the only guy who could score against mm-hmm. a good team. So we need to plunk him on their worst player so we couldn't switch. Why we decided as a staff to go to switch, and I think this came down to like we feel like what have we struggled with offensively? Mm-hmm. And it's like, when teams switch, like, and yeah, there's going to be post-up opportunities against a guard, and you're going to get a big guarding a small guy in the perimeter, but I think, like, those happen, and you're able to take advantage of those so infrequently mm-hmm. that the benefits completely outweigh the drawbacks to it. And Especially at the high school you know, level. For sure, right? I mean, guys aren't recognizing, like, oh, hey, we got, like, our 6'8 kid on a 5'10 kid. Like, all right, let's – well, they're probably isolating the post. And if that's the case, then you can just shoot that weak side guy over to double the catch. So it just really came down to – I mean, it's, it's it, nothing really analytically or, like, research-based. We just thought, like, hey, what have we struggled to score against the most? And it was switching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really where it started. We've gotten into um, – from um, Will Boyd uh, nationally, uh, some of the peel switching concepts – 
um, which where, you know, it's hard to really talk appeal switching without like a board or something to, you know, an image. But like essentially your appeal switching is um, if you're beat and within your rotations, you're not trying to get back to your guy. You're just kind of like we say you're beat, like concede, punt, find the next guy, keep your feet moving and just like everyone kind of peels around and rotates to the next guy, um, which we've had a lot of success with. Um, in the half court, getting some steals after guys think that they have like a kick out to a shot, but the guy who just got beat is now rotating one pass over and takes that pass. And so, mm-hmm. um, and that's a really very broad for anyone who doesn't know about peel switching. Like, not a great, I'm not doing it justice with that. Yeah. One minute overview, but like, but no, really that's, I understand the concept though. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, where we started too was like, we were looking at like the corner three. We're like, we're getting beat. Like, okay, guys that, you know, punch that gap, like, right slot driving towards the right corner. We'd help off the corner. That's an easy kick out three. And I want to say it was kind of down in your area. I was down in Omaha for a coaching clinic. Right. And I first started and Ben Jacobson in Northern Iowa was there. Okay. And I remember him saying something like we don't help off the corner. And I always get sat with me for a couple of years. And then I finally, like when we got the dudes who could be like on the fly, be like, Oh yeah, I'm not helping this spot. Like that's where like the peel stuff kind of just kind of naturally took over. Cause if, if a guy drives from the right slot, naturally you'd think that right corner is stepping in the hell, but we keep that guy home. So we'll shoot like X five over from like the, let's say weak side dunker spot. I'm getting a little technical without a board here, but I'm sure everyone listening can follow. If X five is like in the weak side dunker spot, they're sliding over. They're just straight switching that. Like they're attacking that dribbler who just beat their guy. And then guy who's on the weak side slot slides down to, or weak side corner slides down to cover the five. And the guy who is in the right slot essentially takes two, and so the guy who gets beat can recover on that one pass away. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I apologize. I talk fast. No, no, no. no it ma- it makes sense. Until I started today, so yep. to keep my voice tempo down. But yeah, that's generally the, the overview of our peel switching concept, um, which is more is, is what we've done the last couple of years from our original just straight switching. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you guys are on the ball, are you pushing middle? Are you are you playing it straight up? Are you pushing sideline? Uh, does that help with the rotations with whatever, you know, what's what's your thought process on your on-ball pressure and how that will adjust your switching off the ball? We're pretty straight on. I would say if we had to, I mean, we're not teaching, like, no reversals. Um, we want to keep it out of the middle, so we're kind of closing out to that high side. Um, but, like, once we're on the ball, we're pretty straight up. Um, I mean, yeah, we'd like to keep them out of the paint, but we're not like, you know, how some teams will turn like 90 degrees, mm-hmm. right? So like their back is to the sidelines so they don't reverse the ball. Like we're not that extreme. I would say if we had a choice, yeah, we want to keep it from um, going middle, but we're fine if they're getting reversed because um, we like to take the opportunity to, to jump that slot to slot pass anyways. Because a lot of, what do a lot of teams do? Four out motion. What do a lot of teams do on the weak side? Stand. They stand okay. If they don't okay. <laughs> Or or yeah, screen away. But if they're running that, screen away, right? So yep. we see a lot of teams go they'll just half ass cut. Right? So I don't know, maybe not PG thirteen, but they're just oh, that's like, PG thirteen. Oh, we're good. <laughs> so like we like that opportunity where we can like you know kind of bait people into that lazy reverse pass. Then we switch it and we go jump that for a layup going the other way. So we're not like the nine reversals, but we're definitely will try to keep out of the middle. Um, yeah, we're not shading necessarily one way or the other. Mm-hmm. When you're uh, when you're running that switch action, how are you teaching? So, let's say basic four four out one in, uh, balls in a slot, and they're setting a, an away screen. Um, yep. You know, the two guys away on the weak side are, are setting an away screen. Just simple stuff. What are you guys teaching 
there as far as 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 footwork are you you know getting underneath it uh what do you got going on there nothing specific with footwork the biggest thing that we say though is the low guys got to talk it out the low guy sees it the low guys got to communicate it so like if that top guy they don't know necessarily like if it's just a cut or if it's a screen when that when their guy starts to cut from right slot or weak side slot to weak side corner that's that low guy's got to call out the screen like hey switch 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 so mm-hmm. they can go up and take their guy who's coming off the screen. That's the biggest way that we break that down. There's really, you know, we haven't gotten too much in like workout switching. It's just more like the communication of when a, when a screen is happening versus when a cut is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you guys do on ball screens then? Switch. Switch it? Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. We will switch four um, with, uh, with some ball screens. We will like just kind of get over the top, but... Um, yeah, generally we switch, um, we got a, we got an athletic big this year who's like a college soccer type kid. So we think he'll be fine. Um, you know, we played off the bench for us last year. We think he'll be fine switching. Uh, we've got into some of the, uh, next ball screen coverage, which is, you know, big, uh, a lot of, you know, European wise, a lot of teams are running that where, you know, if you're in a four out alignment, um, it's, so we're right slot big comes with a ball screen. We've, we've thrown this in um, sometimes as like a change. Um, mm-hmm. We're not very – we haven't really spent too much time with it where we could run it like, you know, the first game of the year this year. Mm-hmm. Whereas like we're that, that weak side slot, then they're attacking the ball. Like they're just straight switching that. And then the guy who was on the ball is going over it to find – to switch with that guy. And sometimes the weak side corner has to step up to the slot, and that guy runs all the way out to the um, – from the ball screen on one slot to the weak side corner. Um, to keep our five on a five. Now, that's pretty high level. That's kind of complex stuff. Um, you know, I was doing uh, some film breakdown stuff last summer, and, you know, my school, I, I didn't play there, but Augsburg University, the good Division three program in Minnesota, they ran some of that against the team, and we really liked it um, as well. So we've toyed with it. We haven't really run it too much in a game. But generally speaking, we're switching. Um, and the, the reason for that is when we're switching, we just, you know, high school – usually the best player on a lot of teams is their point guard yeah. right? or the guy who's getting that ball screen set for them. So we don't want them to come off and get a clean look. Um, if they got to get to the rack against our six, six kid, like that's probably a, a tough drive, a tough shot. You know, we just don't want guys coming off clean on ball screens and hitting pull up threes or getting into the paint. Cause we have like, we're not really sure if the guy's over or did we get stuck and go under or what are we in? So switching it just guarantees that at least the ball's covered. Mm-hmm. Are there any situations that you guys go, scout specific that hey we're not switching on this dude or for sure yeah, yeah that's where yeah so definitely if you know and we talk scouting i am um a little bit on email exchange but i'm not big on watching like the full game of teams i'm kind of modern and new school with that is like we'll get our stuff broken down so if, what i'll do is i might watch like uh, a point guard for the upcoming team we're playing like, if we know that they're running a lot of ball screens I'll watch like all of their shots in the last five games that have been broken down. Mm-hmm. And like, if he's coming off ball speed and not looking to score, like we're just not going to switch that. We'll just go under it. Um, or on the flip side, if we think there's a really good scoring guard, not as much a facilitating guard, but a scoring guard, we might, tra- we might blitz that or trap that just to get the ball out of his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're just scrambling on the backside in our normal, like switching kind of peel switching, um, um, roles or philosophy kind of just takes over. But yeah, those are the two main, we either blitz it or we'll go under it, depending on the talent level of um, the guard that we're going against. Mm-hmm. So let's transition. 
let's let's talk a little little scouting here and you kind of went into it a little bit um what you're looking for how you put it together what do you what do you give your guys uh how do you how do you handle uh let's let's just start it you, you got a game on friday night and yeah. let's say let's say it's the i don't know you got a you got a nice week you got four you got four days of practice uh and you're playing friday night uh you know how how does princeton high uh handle that situation when do you start prepping for the other team when do you start going through it how do you get your team ready for that for that Friday night game, if you've got that amount of time, yeah. So we are uh, it, honestly, it starts with what, what the learning model is that we have at the school. So our school uses Schoology. I know we've done Google Classroom before. Um, so what I do is I just create a class for our team, and I, you know, we'll put we'll try to send a scouting report out like at least twenty four hours, if not two days, out on the, on that whatever that site is mm-hmm. on a Google Doc. We'll send that out to our guys, uh, and they can look at that as, as they need to. Um, so we don't ever like do like the print it out. Let's sit down and talk about it. Um, we just kind of put that on them. Like they should be looking this over and it's not, you know, when I started, I used to have stapled copies of three pages my first couple of years. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? Like these kids don't remember this. They got six classes and some of part-time jobs. They didn't have time to remember three pages of scouting reports. Mm-hmm. So our, our philosophy is keep it a one page on a Google doc, one page. Um, and I always kind of set it up where it's like, you know, the starters, we probably get maybe two or three bullet points for each kid. Um, what they're going to do, bench guy, mainly we're trying to like one thing. Maybe it's a shooter off the bench. Maybe it's a physical player off the bench, football type kid. Maybe it's a um, a kid that we think we can turn over. We'll make, hey, pressure this kid. So we try to keep it pretty simple with what we do. But the number one thing I like to put in is the stats. I think the kids can really g- can grasp that. Mm-hmm. Like if they see like Tim Smith is shooting 17% on three the last five games, like then we know we don't need to fly him off the line. Yeah. I think those are just things that we try to keep a really like black and white with our kids where it's not like decent shooter. Well, what does a decent shooter mean? Like, is that a kid I need to fly off the line? Is that a kid that I need to like, I can stay off of. So we try to keep it pretty specific to like the numbers and then like maybe where they like to get their shots or one thing that we think we can do against them. Um, like if it's a big, maybe it's, we'll, we'll say, Hey, play the right shoulder. Right. Cause they're all, they're all left hand or whatever the case may be or something like that. So, we, we, we usually go, like I said, break the stats down um, from our opponents. Uh, maybe a bullet point or two on each start. And if there's a really good player, scholarship level kid, we'll have more. Uh, where it's more like what we need to do and that sort of stuff. But generally, starters get two or three bullet points. Bench guys get one. We have our matchups on there, but we keep it loose because of, we, of switching. Um, and that's the one thing, too, I, I should add. And why switching, I feel like from a, a preparation standpoint, has been so much more beneficial, too, like, Guys just don't get worried about matching up. Like they don't yeah. need to like feel like they need to like. All right, I'm guarding this kid, and you know everything about this one kid. Like, they can just go play and just like generally know the team's tendencies, which has helped a lot. But yeah, so we'll talk a little bit about more where we write more of our information is like what we'll see. Yeah, like four out motion, three out two in ball screen continuity, five out passing cut. They you know they're really looking to drive. They only shoot nine threes a game, like that sort of stuff. They're averaging. You know, twenty two percent. Their turnover rates twenty two percent. This is a team we can really get into that sort of stuff. Like more like with like the tendencies for the team is where we'll get into more than the individual player. And kind of getting back to what we were talking about before, that allows you to focus on your team and what your yep. team needs to do. Exactly right. So, you know, and there's teams like I said, we'll we'll, we'll do no, we'll switch four and no help one kid. Right, if we got mm-hmm. a guy who's a you know, a 25-point-per-game guy. You know, there's a, a kid from a neighboring school who's on the Eastern Illinois Division One school. 
Uh, he's a point guard, but he can shoot it from like 30 feet. He averaged like 30 some a game. He's one of the he got 2,000, he has over 2,000 points. And we were just face guarding and no, no help. Right? We'd switch four and just like one guy was locked in on him. Mm-hmm. And we're like, Let's keep, keep him to 25, keep him to his average, like then we're good, yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah, that's a different situation. But yeah, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll really focus on the tendencies of the other team. And then as far as like you mentioned uh, what the week looks like, if, if that was the week, if we had just the Friday game, we would probably do Monday, Tuesday. We'd probably do Tuesday where we'd have like a 40-minute straight scrimmage just to replicate that game a little bit mm-hmm. um, on a Tuesday. And then we'd get into Wednesday. Usually like we'll spend – I keep it to about 10 minutes. Like when we'll mostly – and I stole it from a, a buddy coach of mine in our conference where it's like we don't necessarily like expect our second unit or our JV, whatever it would be on a given year, to like run the team's offense. We focus on like in our four-on-four and our small-sided games like, okay – this team runs Stager screens a ton. So in our four-on-four for the day, we'll really focus on Stager screens. And mm-hmm. that's how we'll kind of emphasize like our scouting report. Instead of being like, okay, Cambridge is going to run these seven sets. Yep. You guys who are like can't, who aren't good enough to play on our varsity team, like, <laughs> you need to go memorize these seven. It's like, what? Yeah. Our varsity team can't. Our, our best players can't memorize seven sets in one yeah. practice. Yeah. So it's like, let's just really focus on what that main action. If it's a ball screen continuity team, again, We'll talk about our, our ball screen coverages and being really aggressive and switching and that sort of stuff. So we don't get too much into, um, you know, from our guys' perspective, too much into what they're going to run. Personally, and that's sort of the great thing with huddle and getting stuff broken down, and we're lucky that we're a conference film exchange team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can very quickly go through and look at, like, baseline, sign, out-of-bounds plays, like, and stuff through everything that they run. Mm-hmm. I personally like to know every baseline that they're going to run. So like, I'll just tell our kids, like, hey, it's coming back to 12, like that sort of thing, instead of them knowing, recognizing the set. They just are playing, and then I yell, hey, 12's coming back, screen to screen, or like that sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, where I personally will be prepared for stuff like that. But we don't give the kids that information, mm-hmm. um, unless it's like a killer play that they run every single game that we need to be aware of. Yeah, that's one of the, uh, one of the adjustments that I made in my scouting philosophy um, I went down and, and I, I can't thank coach McDermott enough, but I, I, I came, uh, I went down, uh, during my sabbatical time and, uh, it was the day before they were playing a game and, and coach Mack was like, Hey, you want to come in and, you know, go through everything with us in the locker room and the film room and all this other stuff. And he was just so kind, so generous. And, and so one of the things that they did is they went in, they went through the whole scattering report. And again, they're kind of at another level. They've got all these clips cut up and all these, you know, different things. And, um, but what they did, which I thought was an interesting teaching tool, uh, but it makes so much sense is they went straight from the scattering report to, they went through and, and walked through about 10 minutes worth of, of out of bounds plays that the team that they were playing the next night Okay, here's how we're going to defend. We just saw it on film five minutes ago. Now we're going to walk mm-hmm. out here and we're going to go through this. And that's something that we adopted with our kids. And I thought that really helped us out a lot. That we went straight, we went from the classroom to walking through it, and then we started our practice the day before a game. And it felt like our kids absorbed that material so much better. And it was just 
like like a lot of things in coaching, you see something, you're like, well, my goodness, why didn't I think of that before? Uh, but it was that that was one of those ding 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 moments where for me, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense when it comes to scouting and prep. Is to you're going over your scout, you're doing this, and then you go straight walking through it, and then you start your practice, and then you kind of revisit it towards the end of the practice. And that's kind of what we did, and I thought that helped us out a lot as well, too. So. Uh, yeah, so how we watch scout film, too, is we'll, uh, uh, and I, I'm a firm believer in not being on the court longer than 90 minutes. Like, that's mm-hmm. a big thing for me. I think that if, if you, something, if you're efficient, what you do in two hours, you can get done in 90 minutes. Personally, mm-hmm. not seeing people that go three hours are wrong. That's just what we do. Kids seem to be competitive throughout practice. It works for us. Maybe it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. But we'll watch film at the end of practice. So, like, if we have a shoot-around the next day, we might come back, like you said, if there's one or two plays that we just maybe saw on film, we'll come back and talk about that. Uh, especially for like a bigger game. Um, maybe it's a, a playoff game. Obviously more prep goes into, or if it's a, you know, a game against another team at the top of the conference with you, you want to be prepared because they're good for a reason. Mm-hmm. And you got to kind of win You got to win on those margins a little bit more against better teams. Yeah. Um, let's talk about two more things here, Brett. Sure. Uh, let's talk about weights. And, and one of the things I found really interesting and, and we talked pre-roll here, um, uh, that in a lot of ways, I really, really uh, agree with you. Um, but you, you talked about how you don't have your kids lift during the season. Um, and I, and I think there's some validity to that. What's kind of your philosophy, which, you know, a lot of folks are going to lifting, you know, three, four times during the season, that type of thing. But you're kind of going the complete opposite. Ah, we don't lift at all. Uh, what do you, uh, what you, what you kind of, what's kind of your, uh, thought process with that? Some, you're kind of a product of your environment a little bit. So I'll be honest, like our weight facility at our school is not great. Definitely. Like we have a great brand new, um, gym competition gym. It's perfect size. We've been in for five years. We love it. Great environment on game days. We don't have a great weight facility. We actually have a referendum here coming up in a couple months on November 2nd to potentially get a new fitness, weights, community center type area, which is, fingers crossed, would be great for our program. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. Like, we don't have a great space mm-hmm. to bring in. You know, We practice JV varsity and our B-squad slash sophomore team together, which ends up being you know, 24 to 32 kids. Like, we don't, and we could stay here. If we don't have a great space for it, um, to lift number one. Number two, I, I'm not a great – I. Eh, Look at my look at me on Twitter. I'm I'm not sculpted myself. I'm not very well educated in in the weight in the weight room. Yeah, and like that was as like, I mean that that was pretty pretty lightly. I I, I don't lift. I don't really you know we walk with our kids. Right, I'm not a big workout person. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't lift. Right, and so I'm not very educated um, in the weight room, and so I feel like as a coach, like I only have so many hours in the day. Right, mm-hmm. I got to do my teaching job. Number one. I, you know, I have to be my family and be a, be a husband and be a dad, number one. I got my teaching job, number two. And then coaching, obviously, is my third priority um, in my life. And so with that said, I feel like my time is more valuable. If I got 30 minutes to plan a weight training session or plan weights, I'd rather have 30 minutes of, like, watching our film or watching another team to get myself us more prepared. I just think that moves the needle more than me trying to put some weight program together on a Wednesday after practice. Mm-hmm. I just think that my time is more valuable, like prepping for an upcoming team, just with my skill set. Now we've done everything in eight years. Um, I did a basketball specific based on Alan Seppenwall, not Alan Seppenwall, Alan, that's the TV show, okay. Alan Stein, um, uh, 
of his weight program stuff. Um, and, and I had like eight or ten kids who weren't in football do it. And it was fine. Didn't move the needle. Uh, we've brought in a weight-specific guy for our boys and girls program to come in once a week and lift. I don't think it really moved the needle much for our guys. So what I found is successful for my program is let's tap into like what we have. What we have is a good amount of our kids play football. Not everyone, but a good amount of them. Football, as we know, as we talked about, you know, pre-roll, like you said, um, the footballs, the wrestlings of the world, like that is more of a physical contact. Weightlifting is of a priority sport. And so those kids have lifted all summer with football. They lift all fall with football. And we got a couple of assistant coaches who we have have one assistant coach's kid also plays for us. He keeps the weight room open for any of the football kids you want to lift from 515 to 6 so they can get their lift in. So, like, our kids are lifting. I'm just not, like, planning weights for them. Gotcha. But I just think, like, yep. the kid who hasn't been the weight room, which was me, if I had to go in and squat and bench and power clean and deadlift after not doing it all off season, like, I'm going to be out for two weeks of, like, being – like, I'm going to be so sore. Like, I'm going to be a horrible basketball player. Mm-hmm. And so, again, is it enabling? Sure. I, I, people listening to this could be shaking their heads and this guy's an idiot. Am I enabling kids who don't lift? 100%. 100% I am. But I just think that in the short season we have, where we have like a week and a half before our first game, like we just don't have the opportunity to get kids into lifting um, that don't want to lift in the first place. And we are lucky enough that we have a, a football staff that is dedicated to getting our full basketball players who also play football into the weight room on the side, that it's really the best of both worlds. So mm-hmm. the kids who do want to lift are lifting. The kids who don't want to lift are, are just not. And it's... I just don't think like bench pressing for three months is going to make a difference if you haven't lifted the other nine months. Yeah. So that's kind of where the philosophy comes from. Um, it just it kind of accepts what we have and, the, and, and tapping into the environment and you know the facilities and the type of kids and what they're doing when they're not with me mm-hmm. um, during the season. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that what what we try to do at our school is there's there's lifting available three mornings a week during the school year, and yep. you know I try to you know try to get in there at least twice during the season. Um, but like you said, that, that kind of becomes difficult if you've got a game on uh, a Tuesday, uh, a Thursday and a Friday or something like that, and mm-hmm. then, you know, getting in at six thirty. and, and there's been times where I've just said, Hey, nobody, nobody lift tomorrow, get that extra hour of sleep. We need to sleep more than we need the lifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a case by case scenario. Uh, now in the off season, in the spring and the, in the summer, yeah, we really push it hard. You know, we, we want our kids, we want to develop athletes for our school. And our school is a small school. We, we have mm-hmm. to develop athletes for every sport, not just basketball specific or volleyball specific or football specific. Uh, all of our kids, and it's that way at most schools, we're crossing over all over the place. So we need to develop the best athletes that we possibly can. But I, I do think sometimes that, you know, if we're, you know, I'm not going to teach a, a one three one zone because I feel like, well, I saw it on this thing and I look and I mm-hmm. analyzed it for an hour. I don't know very much about the one three one, so you know, we're probably not gonna run one three one. Um and so I think that sometimes now, again, I'm really lucky and you kinda sound like the same thing. Uh we've got a couple of guys at our school that are really, really good at it. I literally just turn it over to them and whatever you mm-hmm. and, and and in in the summertime I show up and what do you need me to do? Okay, I'll run this station and we go from there. But that's been uh, at my old position. You know, it was a lot of you're kind of on your own, especially during the season. And these guys have handled it during the season for us. So that's been a real relief for me that that you have that. And you know, hey, let's get in, let's maintain, let's let's work on explosion. 
a couple of mornings uh, a week during the summer or during the during the season. Uh, but yeah, we're going to take days off if we if we feel like sleep is more valuable than lifting that day. You know. And I should add too, from like a practice section, like our practices are hard. Yeah. Like we everything we're doing is training. Like we play fast. Like we run a lot. Like we're not. We I should say we run all, all of our drills transition to some sort of full core piece. Mm-hmm. And so like our kids should be tired after practice. Where it's like I think it comes down to like you know not to be you know corny, but like it's the square pig in a round hole. Like for some kids. Like their bodies can go lift after practice, and that's great. Yeah. I just think we have to be – we have to differentiate our coaching, we have to differentiate our teaching. We have to – any instruction you give, you have to differentiate to your audience. I just think that, like, we have some kids who aren't in football who will lift with football all summer, and some kids who even then will, like, stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And it just – it is what it is, right? Like, let's yeah. not force kids to be something that they aren't. Like, they got to be int- intrinsically motivated yeah. to get in there anyways, or it's going to be a half-assed lift anyways if they, if they aren't motivated to get better and they want to be there. So that's well, where we're at. I know some people will like give me the business for it. That's fine. I get it. I get I'm enabling the kids who don't lift, but I think it's part of like it's a trade off that I'm willing to have. It's like you might not be as strong, but I know that you're going to be fresh and you're not going to have sore arms all season. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's the fine. I, and I think that whatever you decide to do, and I know that's one of the things that a lot of schools battle when it comes to sharing of athletes and weight rooms and things. Well, lifting is not good for my sport. You'll have some sports say. Uh, I, I think the most important thing is we give our athletes the opportunity to develop as athletes as much as possible. And, you know, that's that's going to be different in every situation. And, you know, I, I think that what we've really tried to push for our kids is get as athletic, as athletic as you can. And the weight room and the explosion and that type of stuff can really, really help with that. And we want to push you through, again, in the spring and the summertime, we really push that hard, but in the season, we'll back off a little bit. Again, mm-hmm. you know, we'll take rest over those weightlifting reps every once in a while, just to make sure we're fresh. Like you said, that that we're going to practice really, really hard uh, that day. But it's going to be, you know, we're, we're looking, we're we're running the marathon. We're not running the sprint here, and we just can't look at this one day and and that type of thing. So. I, I think there's a thousand different ways to skin that cat as well. So, and I'll, I'll leave with one one more thing on that too. Like, I'm yep. really lucky that head football coach was an assistant of mine for a couple of years. So, like, we have a great relationship. So, summertime, like our older group, our high school kids go six thirty to eight in the morning, and they go to lift from eight to nine thirty. Mm-hmm. So, it's like a perfect. We set that up really nicely where that like they don't yep. like they go one to the next, and they have their entire day the rest of the day to work or yep. play or whatever the hell else they want to do. Yep. And that's what we do as well. Our, our, our female athletes come in from 6.30 to 7.30, and then we start open gym from 7.45. We go 7.45 to 8.45, open gym. And, yep. and then they're done. That's it, you know. And for our males, it's, it's, they lift from 7.30 to 8.30, and then they do, they, you know, they do whatever from 8.45 to 9.45, and then they have the rest of their day. So uh, yeah. I, I really like that, except when the alarm goes off that early. That kind of stinks. So, <laughs> um, Real quick here, uh, practice setup. What, what do you guys do? You said you, re- you go uh, real hard, real heavy for about 90 minutes. You want to get them in and out, but you want it to be really intense. Uh, what are, what are the, the things that make your practices efficient, Brett? Well, uh, the number one thing that started making my practice efficient is my um, amazing wife was like, hey, we have two young kids. I support you coaching, but I don't want you coming home at 7 o'clock every night. <laughs> 7 o'clock every night. Sure. And so that made me be like, okay, like, 
she's cool with me coaching for as long as I want to coach, right? And then she's super supportive of that. She, like, knows that's my thing. Um, but I also got to be good. I have to be smart with our time, right? We mm-hmm. don't need to sit here and walk through a bunch of stuff. Like, let's be efficient. So I started looking for some creative ways. Because I first started, again, you coach how you were coached. You teach how you were teach. You parent how you were parented right away. Unless you know anything different. Unless you unless you research and find something different to do. And I was, you know, I was a product of two two-hour practices. Or two two-and-a-half-hour practices, which was fine. Not saying it's wrong. It's different. Um, and so I started researching ways to be more efficient. And, um, you know, that's really where I got connected with our boy, um, John Carrier is like, he was big into the small side of game stuff. And I started picking his brain and I just found that like, we don't, it's no on air versus like small side of game stuff. Like, I mean, so often I think coaches waste personally coaches waste 10, 20 minutes walking through five on oh, and I did it and I watched the boredom kick, kick in. I watched kids get disinterested like walking through actions and offense for 10 minutes before they ever went against the defense. And so mm-hmm. pretty much like I, I'm coming from a different school. So they have like 30 minutes from when they're out until practice starts. So that's kind of their time. Like if you want to go shoot, you want to go play one-on-one, you want to do whatever you got to do. Like that 30 minutes is yours, but don't think that we're going to block off 25 minutes for you to stand and shoot today in mm-hmm. practice. Like if you want to come in and stand and shoot, you want to hook the doctor dish up, by all means, you know where it is. You know where our ball rack is. Like, that gym is open after school. But when I get there and we're rolling at 345, like, we're going until 515. And there might not be a chance for you to sit and shoot corner threes for 25 times. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, we kind of get going right away with transition. You know, we traditionally um, always like to do a one-on-one to start. Um, just get, you know, groups of three or four. Uh, we've went back and forth last year. We were more specific with our groups because of COVID stuff and yeah. knowing where kids were and keeping our, keeping our top kids together and a separate more from the JV kids in the years and other years. Um, this year we might go back to more getting the point guards with the point guards and some one-on-one stuff and the bigs with the bigs last year was like our top four and our next four. So there's just different ways you can do that, but we like to start with a one-on-one and, and we really just like to get everything that we're doing um, and I can talk specific drills, but just everything that we're doing, if it's four on four, let's go four on four and then go down a mat. Um, and just an easy thing to switch to get kids moving and, and making it um, transition based as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, everyone wants, you know, like I mentioned earlier, if we're scouting, we're doing like regarding standard screens to start. We might, our JV group or second group is starting with a standard screen, then we'll go, let's go down a back and reset just to get them moving and making it not where we're standing around for the entire practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really the biggest thing. Um, well, we will mix in some competitive shooting drills, but very rare are we just doing like catch and shoot for 10 minutes during that like 90 minutes of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we, uh, um, I don't know, you follow up with anything you want. That's kind of the general philosophy that we have. Like anything that we're doing is a small side of the game that's flowing into at least one trip down and back each way. Yeah. Well, I like the concept of, of the flowing back and forth because sometimes you get you get going on five on five shell and you're down just playing half court for 15 or minutes or whatever and you get caught up in it it's like well yeah that's great however we're not going to just stand on one end of the floor for 15 minutes and you know you got to have that transition and shameless plug for uh transition defense video for a pen and a napkin university uh, but it is shameless, and I am going to plug it. We we talked a it's lot your about podcast, it. man. It's yeah, your podcast. <laughs> yeah. Plug what you want to plug, man. It's your deal. <laughs> but uh, you know, you're going to transition even in a slow pace game. You're going to transition forty five to fifty times. 
Uh, and, and I think the more that you emphasize those transitions, whether it's three on three, four on four, five on five, heck, it's, it's harder to transition with those smaller numbers because you got more space that you got to cover. And, and I think that's, that's a great concept for coaches to think about. I need you to know that if I was coaching a game or we transitioned the defense 45 or 50 times, I probably would have just walked out of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like gave me anxiety. Like my blood pressure is like 150 over 110 right now, I think. Thinking about a 45 possession game. <laughs> well, well, I don't imagine your boys team and my girls team uh, being five, six hours apart from one another would ever match up against each other. But if that were ever to happen... I don't care if we win or lose. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go four corners from the get go just to watch you <laughs> stew on the sideline. I'm just I'm just gonna do that. So it's just, funny we're getting sidetracked, but so much with the shot clock stuff talking in Minnesota, right? Yeah, it's and like, you guys oh, have right. that. Iowa right? just passed Wisconsin. We're trying to get it, and it's like everyone's like, "What do you think of shot clock?" It's like <laughs> we we don't we would never need one yeah. except for when we're on defense. It's like, yeah, let's bring it in. But yeah, sorry, digress. No, I, I just yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's. Uh, you know, but even then, you're going to do it 45, 50 times a game. That's a lot of right. times to do something during a game, and and I think having those transition concepts in there on a consistent basis helps your kids um, get better at and and be aware of that. And if you're, it, you know, I think the key to coaching, is, or one of the big keys, is doing the same things over and over again but doing them in a different manner so that your kids don't get bored, that they don't realize that well, we just we just thought we're playing up and down. Well, no, really what we're doing is we're working on our transition O or our transition D. Mm-hmm. We've, we've just done it five different, subtly five different ways over the last five practices, and now you're not bored. You think it's something new and fresh every single time when actually it's the same uh, end here. We're, we're looking for the same thing at the end of it. And I think that's the challenge to it because sometimes we get so caught up. Okay, we're going to do Indiana drill. And it's like for the 20th time this year and 25 practices, Mm -hmm. we're doing the Indiana drill. And that's when you start to lose them, I think. Is is that what you think, Brett? Yeah, another thing we do, especially early, um, you know, when we hit February, we might, you know, start trickling down to like an hour 20, hour 15. We don't as much, but Mm -hmm. we try to score and like put something on the line. So again, do we lift? No, but we'll put 20 push-ups on the line for the losing team in yeah. some sort of competitive drill. So there are some, like, you know, body weight stuff that's added in. Again, that's not going to move the needle either. We try to compete a lot early um, where we're scoring everything just mm-hmm. to, like you said, to keep them. Even though it's the same drill we did yesterday, and I know we'll probably do it in two days, I want to win. I don't want to lose. So yeah. um, we have that in two. I think the other thing you mentioned, I know everyone does. I mean, these are drill, And this is the one thing in my podcast, too, everyone – and I'm doing it. But like when I've done that, is they're like, oh, I know everyone does these drills. And so it's always the lead in, and I'm, and I'm doing it too. But one drill we like is like the ping pong, where we'll go like either four on four or five on five. So you can get 12 to 15 kids in. Oh, yeah. And you're just going like, whoever wins the possession, you're going back the other way against the set defense. And that's been really effective for our half court offense too. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing like the football, like, all right, huddle up, let's run this play again. Yep. Like, that's not transferable. Yeah. Like, let's at least go from defense to offense. And the defense is set. That's great because we'll play teams that send five on the shot. Mm-hmm. That's a counter that we've had some struggles with. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be able to execute against the set defense. So um, that's another thing we do just to kind of keep kids moving where it's the same idea. We are working on half-court offense or half-court defense, but it's at least in an up-and-down manner. Absolutely. Absolutely. Brett Kloiter, the head boys basketball coach at Princeton High School in Princeton, Minnesota. 
Coach, thanks so much for coming on the pod. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for thinking of me. Um, hopefully I can, um, there's some Minnesota people who will now be able to connect with your podcast on this. I appreciate you thinking of me. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, again, any chance I can talk hoops, uh, I'll take it. So um, appreciate all the work that you're doing. Uh, I know being on the other side of it, I know you don't always realize how, how influential you are and how much you're helping coaches, but I know you're you're helping coaches out and you're doing a service that a lot of people appreciate. Uh, so keep up the good work. Oh, thanks, Brad. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's 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 uh, I, I I just appreciate that. It's 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 honor. I I feel very humble. Uh, I, I you know it's it's humbling to have uh, people say nice things like that. So I, I do appreciate it. So um, if you if you uh, hold the line here real quick, um, yep. You know, uh, again, we want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosac Chiropractic. Go check out a pen and a napkin.com. And again, at some point when I'm done doing government lesson plans for uh, for my for my new job here, we're gonna do some deep diving and rearranging some things on the website here. So that is coming. Just please stay with me, folks. Again, uh, the pen and napkin university video series, personal growth and development. We finished up full court pressure defense. Uh, this week sometime I'm gonna finish up half court defense. And so those are coming. Those are really, really good videos. I, I think that's just above and beyond stuff that we've talked about on the podcast. So check that out. Uh, you can go to apinandnapkin.com to order those. Follow us on Twitter at apinandnapkin. Download, rate, and review the pod. Give us five stars. We'd love that. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at apinandnapkin at gmail.com. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.